the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. It is an honor to welcome to the show one Harriet Hageman. She is running for Congress in Wyoming. We'll talk more about why that is important in a second. If there's one question that I keep getting, it's what do we do about Republicans that let us down? Well, you do Harriet Hageman. That's what you do. Harriet, welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. You betcha. To put a fine point on it, you're running to challenge Liz Cheney, are you not? Yes, I am. Well, tell the audience, first-time guest, we have a bunch of mutual friends, uh, first-time guest here, though, for you. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Give us an autobiography, who you are, how you came to be doing what you're doing, whatever you want to say about yourself. Well, wonderful. Thank you. you um, I'm Harriet Hegeman. I live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm a fourth-generation Wyomingite. Uh, my great-grandfather actually came north on a cattle trail from Texas to Wyoming in 1879. I am the fourth generation, and we're now on the sixth generation <laughs> in Wyoming. I come from a long line of ranchers. I am actually a uh, constitutional attorney. I've been practicing law for over 30 years. I graduated from the University of Wyoming in 1989. And I, for many years, had my own law firm where I focused specifically on water and natural resource issues. I had a lot of cases against the federal government, including the EPA and the United States Department of Agriculture, the Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, trying to hold them accountable for their bad decisions that were having that were wreaking havoc on Wyoming and our ranchers, farmers, oil and gas producers, uh, trucking companies, and that sort of thing. A couple of years ago, I made the decision that I wanted to work solely on constitutional issues, pushing back against the administrative state. So I took a job with a public interest law firm out of Washington, D.C., and what we do is try to rein in the unlawful administrative power that you see in all of these federal agencies. So I have filed lawsuits against, again, the USDA. I've got a lawsuit pending against the EPA right now over that horrible Gold King mine catastrophe that they created in southwestern Colorado a couple years ago. I've sued EPA for an unconstitutional taking with that particular case. And we also have filed suit over these unlawful and illegal um, vaccine mandates. So right now I'm, I'm a bit broader than I used to be, but I'm also focused specifically on protecting people's civil rights and doing it pro bono. Thank you. Uh, let me, by the way, give out your website for anyone who wants to learn more along the way or help you out. It's HagemanForWyoming.com. Hageman is spelled H-A-G-E-M-A-N, HagemanForWyoming.com. I'll tell you one thing I love about your website, uh, Harriet, if I might is that you have an issues tab, as every candidate does, and your very first issue is protecting our Constitution. I just love that because I think people take that for granted, and I don't think we can take that for granted anymore. We can take it for granted because it's why we are where we are right now. Yeah. It's ignoring the Constitution that has created the, 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 the problems that we're seeing, whether it is federal overreach or it's a, a president reading off a teleprompter, uh, mandating that people get vaccines, or it is a, 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 the, 
Pelosi and the Democrats attempting to ram through uh, a bills that would a, a bill that would absolutely destroy the the constitutional foundation. It's Congress abdicating its responsibilities and allowing unelected bureaucrats to legislate in this country. If people truly understood, and we we lived under our constitutional framework and with within that foundation, we wouldn't be seeing and we wouldn't be uh, being confronted with just this these incredible crises that we're seeing right now. The Constitution provides the answers to so much of what we're dealing with. It's that people have ignored that Constitution and our state constitutions for far too long. One of the things that I think needs to be uh, revived, I haven't heard uh, much about it in an awfully long time, but it needs to be revived, is the Constitution Caucus in the House of Representatives. Because it seems to me when people say, well, listen, you guys on talk radio, you talk to the converted, which isn't true, but it's probably, you know, the majority of whom we talk to uh, agree with us, but, you know, maybe like to hear our insights and maybe the minority who listen to us don't. But how can we get the message out in a, in a greater format with a greater bullhorn or bully pulpit, um, Harriet? And I think electing constitutionalists to Congress who take the notion of the Constitutional Caucus seriously – I think they could do a lot of national vital, vital and timely national seminars on what things what it means to 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 be a constitutionalist or not. And it seems to me electing you would be a good way towards doing that. When's the last time you heard a (laughs) member of Congress talking about the Constitution? Well, and I, I appreciate that opening because one of the ideas that I have for what I want to do when I go to Congress is people are always talking about what our United States Supreme Court does right? and what the decisions mean that they that are issued. But the vast majority of people don't know what the decisions mean right. once they have been issued by the Supreme Court because they don't look at them. Or what they can be done about CNN. it, by the way, or what can be what, done about it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, and yeah. that's the education yeah. part. Yeah. That's the important part about it. I bet if you went and you could t- you could pull five members of Congress right now and you could say what were the most important decisions issued by the United States Supreme Court last term and they'd look at you like you had four heads. You bet. The reason that's significant is I want to go in and I want to do seminars educating about what Good. these Supreme Court decisions mean because there are some things like the Chevron deference that the courts have adopted since mm. the early 1980s that have been devastating in terms of individual liberty mm. and elevating these unelected bureaucrats to write the law and determine what the law is. That's what Chevron deference does. Chevron deference actually allows the agencies to decide what they're going to say the law is, and then we and then right. the courts defer to them. It's absolutely unconstitutional. So going in and educating our staffers and our congressional representatives as to what the Supreme Court is doing, I think will help Congress to pass better laws and undo some of those bad decisions and support some of the good ones. So, again, going back to what you're saying, getting the constitutional framework back into Congress is one of the most important and vital things that I could do. We're talking to Harriet Hageman. She is running for Congress in Wyoming. You're running in a primary, a Republican primary. You're running against Liz Cheney. A lot of people will say, um, well, Liz Cheney has uh, been a um, uh, you know a political actor for many years from a, a lineage of political actors. Why stir up the pot? Why stir up the pot, Harriet? 
well, maybe because we shouldn't be having a long lineage of political <laughs> actors that are in our in our uh, that are representing us, because that's the problem. They become an elite. They become separate. They they become insulated from reality. And I was actually having a, a radio interview earlier today, and one of the things we were talking about is that Liz Cheney has been sheltered her entire life from actually living the way normal everyday people live. I grew up very very poor. I grew up in a family where the year when I was born in 1962, when my parents brought me home from the hospital, my oldest sister was five and I was the fifth child. Mm -hmm. They had just bought a ranch. They were well over $200,000 in debt, which is $1.5 million or $1.8 million in today's dollars. Uh And they had $35 in the bank. Mm -hmm. We all worked on that ranch. We all had to make that business a success. We all had to make sure that that, that we moved the cows and that we fixed the fence and we pulled the wells and we, 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 we bailed the hay. We did all of that because we were part of that business. Liz Cheney's business is politics. Mm-hmm. Liz Cheney's business is Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. We don't need any more people from Washington, D.C. in Washington, D.C. We need Wyoming people in Washington, D.C. We need true Arizonans in Washington, D.C. We need true Montanans in Washington, D.C. The elites have let us down. We're here because of the elites. Thank you, Harriet. We're talking to Harriet Hageman running for Congress in Wyoming. By the way, that's a one that's a one seat state, isn't it? It's 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 one of these rarities where the member of Congress is actually, in some respects, more powerful than the two senators. Right? Am I right about that? The I could only, be wrong. Yep, yep. We are the we only have one one congressional right. representative, and we've got to make it count. So this is the point I wanted to connect to Arizona. Why is Liebson having some Wyoming candidate on his show? Because. As Madison put it, right, we're partly federal, partly national. Yes, Congress people represent their state, but they debate and vote on federal law that affects everyone in every state. Right, Harriet? Absolutely. And it is important that we send good conservatives from Arizona, Nevada, California, to the extent that we can, Texas, Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota. We're the ones that should have the voice. Our government and our constitution is based upon the idea that it is the it is the will of the governed. We are the government. They only work for us. When I'm running for Congress, this is a job a job interview, a very long job interview. Yes. Yes. But it's a job interview nonetheless. With lots of breaches I'm, into personal files and history that we can't usually. Yes, I am right. I'm sure you're familiar with that game too. Well, let me say. Well, yes. I was just going to say this, Harriet. Um, I want to give out your website one more time for people who may want to help you out or learn more about you. Hageman for Wyoming, and it's H-A-G-E-M-A-N. I just want to say I hope this could be the first of many visits before I have to call you congressman or congresswoman, whatever you prefer. But I'm looking forward to doing both of those things, Harriet. Thank you. One one other sure. point is that Donald Trump has endorsed me. Uh-huh. I am the conservative candidate in this race. Donald Trump has endorsed me. I am a conservative. I'm a long, long-term conservative. I have fought for Wyoming and fought for important Wyoming and Western issues. I would welcome any support that your listeners could provide. If they could go to our website and donate, Liz Cheney is going to make, raise a lot of money. Yeah. We need to be able to combat that. Thank you to you and thank you to your listeners. Oh, absolutely, Harriet. Hageman for Wyoming, H-A-G-E-M-A-N, Hageman for Wyoming. I, I totally loved talking to you, Harriet. We're on the same page on so many things. As I say, this will be hopefully given your time and campaign schedule. This will be the first uh, down payment on many other stops here in Phoenix. <laughs> thank you, Seth. My pleasure. We'll talk soon. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back.
done with Google just yet. Um, and having their uh, having the spotlight be on, on on how they operate and how they manipulate algorithms and news, because the story that gosh, one of ten now, one of fifteen. I really got to write them down. Some of them are in my monologue or my opening uh, piece this afternoon, earlier in the uh, previous hour. But one of the stories has to be, or would have to be. This entire business where the U.S. Attorney General is sicking the FBI on investigating parents who go to school board meetings and voice their opposition to such things as vaccine mandates and critical race theory. So if you wanted to learn about that, you know that this comes from the National Association of School Boards. And over the last few days since Friday, you may or may not know that the board of directors at the National Association of School Boards voted to apologize for their initial letter to the attorney general, to the Biden administration, calling fellow Americans who voice their concerns at school board meetings, domestic terrorists who should be subject to the Patriot Act. The board of directors apologize. Evidently, what happened is that letter was sent by the head of the National Association of School Boards and without the full vote or confidence and credit of the entirety of the board. So they get some credit for apologizing in the first place. Let's not paper that over. But you know what the big deal is here? Garland hasn't retracted. Merrick Garland has not retracted his orders. Um, And what's interesting about that is what if you wanted to know about the current status of this? This is a story about Google. We'll get to the story about Garland in a minute. You would go to your internet search engine and you might do what I do as someone who's fairly, I think, skilled at research or at least maybe better than your average guy or gal. Um, You might type in NASB and Garland. NASB and Garland. National Association of School Boards and Garland. But if you do, You will not get a story on the National Association of School Boards and Merrick Garland. You will not. You will get some information about banks, and you will get a lot of biblical verses because of the NASB translation of the Bible. That's what you will get. You cannot tell me that there aren't enough hits and websites having to do with Merrick Garland and the National Association of School Boards, which is abbreviated to NASB in every story I've read, such that that shouldn't be the first hit, never mind one of the first 20 hits or results from Google. So if you want to research this, they've memory-holed it. They've they've memory-holed it. You can't. And this story is only weeks old. You would have to type in National Association of School Boards and Merrick Garland. Now, what's interesting about this is so the letter that instigated all of this, the letter that catalyzed the Garland memo and the Department of Justice's orders to investigate parents raising concern about critical race theory. The interesting thing is the initiation The creation of it, the catalyst of it, the impetus for it is now a nullity. It's now been retracted. It's now been apologized for via the NASB, National Association of School Boards. 
But this is a perfect example, a perfect example of how government works and how increasingly this government works, I should say. That would be a better way to put it, increasingly how this government works. First of all, no matter what the origin of the program, whether it's massive public policy or this tyrannical order from Garland, no matter what it is, it's nearly darned impossible to get the government to stop or to change or to revise. I've been on this case with regard to welfare reform for I don't know how many decades. But we've spent upwards of $25 trillion, let me say it again, $25 trillion in the war on poverty. And we have recycled the same mistakes and errors again and again and again. Because the point wasn't really to eliminate poverty, was it? It was to empower an entire different, new, and permanent cadre of bureaucracy that has done little to help the American family or the plight of the American family that needs it. I think it was Robert Rector at the Heritage Foundation who said we declared a war on poverty and poverty won. We're increasingly doing that as America, aren't we? Declaring wars we can't win and that we just spend and throw more money at. Such an interesting point that the Wall Street Journal made that I was going over with John Dombrowski in the previous hour. There are all these new tax hike schemes coming out of your Elizabeth Warrens and Ron Wydens in the United States Senate from the Democratic Party so that they can cover what they call $2 trillion in spending. Well, this is why Joe Biden is trying to say it won't cost anything because they are going to create tax hikes that cover it. Well, that's a cost to someone. It's a cost of something. If you are one of these 200 corporations responsible for creating $2 trillion more in revenue, I think my math is right. That's $10 bucks a corporation. $202 trillion should be about $10 billion, shouldn't it? Two, uh, $10 billion per corporation. That's $10 billion that corporation now has to come up with. Which means what? How do they do it? Increased prices might be one way. Reduced expansion, reduced employment force might be another. But how about this idea? How about this idea? If a plan on spending requires increased costs from the American people as much as the American worker... Why are you engaging in that cost in the first place? What is the benefit to a community with a corporation that has to forfeit $10 billion worth of expansion and employment and pricing to solve whatever it is AOC and Elizabeth Warren think we need to spend $2 trillion on? Maybe don't spend the $2 trillion. Maybe don't spend the $2 trillion and let these corporations that employ a lot of people continue to employ more.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960 is the number. Blessedly, uh, from Real Clear Politics, someone sent me a story by Peter Wood in uh, The Spectator. Let me share this story with you. If I wanted to persuade my fellow Americans to eat more cheese, I would begin by launching a campaign to ban cheese. Stay with me. This might start with the argument cheese clogs arteries or lowers IQ. I'd find some doctors willing to testify that cheese inhibits testosterone and some other doctors to insist it fouls up estrogen. Then I would move on to the damage cheese does to the climate. Too many cows, goats, sheep, methane, don't you know, greenhouse gases, deforestation brought to you by cheddar. Cheese kills might serve as a motto. Next... I would sort out the cheese-producing states that would have to be melted into submission, perhaps with the promise of extravagant subsidies. And last, I would have to find a way to get President Biden to to announce a national mandate to stamp out cheese. Then, like a Bond villain, I would sit back and watch my cheese investments and my side bet on cracker futures soar as tens of millions of Americans rushed out to buy as much cheese as possible. Even people with no taste for stinking bishop would be putting it in their larders out of sheer solidarity with Asiago. We are people, after all, who value our liberty. We know something is valuable the moment you threaten to take it away. But we also value our freedom to defy orders. Just as easily as we could conjure a cheese frenzy, we could incite an anti-cheese rebellion by insisting that every meal included a little feta, some gouda on the side, or some roquefort on the greens. Cheese is, after all, a germ delivery system full of exotic and potentially deadly molds. A bioweapon on toast, often imported from sketchy places. Forcing people to eat it is a way for government to invade our bodies. And it smells. Today, Americans are hard-pressed by President Biden to get vaccinated against the dreaded COVID-19 virus. A similar campaign has run or is running in many other countries. The American case stands out, however, for two features. First, it it has stirred to life vigorous opposition. Second, it has put the federal government in the position of exerting powers it does not legitimately possess. A large share of the opposition comes from African-Americans who overwhelmingly vote for Democrats and played a signal role in the 2020 nomination going to Joe Biden. Yet a long history of less than candid treatment by medical authorities has led to widespread suspicion in the African-American community. We have, been ocu- we have been inoculated at birth by a virus more potent than COVID, and it's the idea of liberty. The Tuskegee experiment, a 40-year exercise in seeing what would happen if syphilis were left untreated in black males, officially ended in 1972, but it lives on in the memory. Almost every African-American knows the story of Henrietta Lacks, the black woman who died of cervical cancer in 1951, but whose cancer cells were immortalized and became a standard for researchers. The Lacks family never knew about Henrietta's contribution to medical science, until a white journalist, Rebecca Skloot, made a best-selling book of the matter. Lax is now another byword for medical exploration and exploitation from minorities. Neither the Tuskegee experiment nor Henrietta Lacks have a thing to do with vaccines, but once broken, 
trust is very hard to regain. Other resistors to the vaccination mandates offer a wide variety of complaints. Some justly point out they have gained natural immunity from having endured and recovered from COVID. Why should they submit to a vaccine that provides less protection than they already have? The answer from the everyone must vax crowd is that the vaccines offer better protection than natural immunity. But it is easy to find experts and more of them that actually disagree. Others are roused to opposition on learning that the vaccines were developed using fetal cells that had been harvested. One would have thought the pharmaceutical companies would have thought that one through, given the sensitivities of the American public. But no, the biomedical industry simply doesn't think about such things. The story goes on. Stay with me. We'll continue it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960, telling a story Peter Wood tells in The Spectator about liberty and the virus. We've been inoculated at birth by a virus more potent than COVID, he writes. It is the idea of liberty. Maybe we have the Delta variant of liberty. After all, we got it from the English. If not for the Magna Carta, the English Constitution, or common law, perhaps the American founders would never have come up with the idea of unalienable rights. Granted, Thomas Jefferson consulted some non-English sources, too, but the main idea is English in origin. Let's call it Western, shall we? Our Delta variant just carries it a bit further. We reserve our rights to the general public and allow the government to exercise authority only in areas where we have explicitly agreed to exercise limited control, or at least that's how it was supposed to work and still does to some extent, despite a century of Woodrow Wilsonian progressive fiddling with those 18th century documents. President Biden is not breaking new ground and grabbing powers the Constitution does not convey to him. Other presidents have made attempts to curb liberty in favor of the state's power. But Biden has been more in a rush and far clumsier than most of his predecessors. His ordering everyone who works for the U.S. government, including those in military service, to get vaccinated is a raw political move that requires people to submit on pain of losing not just their job, but their career. It bears resemblance to the American military's efforts to force every soldier to undergo training in diversity, equity, and inclusion on pain of expulsion. And that resemblance looks like the military manual having to do from the Department of Defense with transgender members who cannot be discriminated against based on where they want to bunk. Most of the troops, and by most I mean over 85%, I'm sure, don't like this. Good thing we don't have a recruitment problem in America, I said sarcastically. The vaccine mandates, regardless of medical merits, feel more and more like an ideological imposition intended to purge the ranks of government of anyone who has a teensy bit of a reservation about this authoritarian rule. The question I often hear asked is, if the government can force me to inject pharmaceuticals, what can it not do? 
Are there any real limits on our drone driving, neighbor watching, mask mandating, Big Brother at all? Any restraints on the appetite for more government control? These plainly come down to the big political questions posed in America right now. We have a deeply divided nation, but a president who has no interest in compromise or moderation and a Congress intent on establishing provisions for long-term, if not permanent, rule. The vaccine brouhaha is the perfect manifestation of this madness. We have overreach on one side and defiance for the sake of defiance on the other. Few of us have forgotten that in July of 2020, candidate Biden said that Trump ordered vaccine wouldn't be real and might not be safe. In September 2020, Biden expressed deep doubts, quote, who's going to take the shot? Are you going to be the first one to say, sign me up, close quote, and declaring he would take the shot only if we all knew what went in it. Compare with Kamala Harris's statement that if Trump developed it, she's not taking it. Biden eventually took the shot anyway and then became its fiercest champion. His vague explanation of all this is he didn't trust the vaccine because he couldn't trust anything Donald Trump said. But the vaccine is the same regardless of who sits in the Oval Office. We are thus dealing with a thoroughly politicized branch of public health advice. Now, knowing all this, you tell me who politicized this. I just want to parenthetically insert, knowing all this, you tell me who politicized this virus. You tell me who politicized this virus when Donald Trump suggested that people don't go to such events as Chinatown celebrations and cuts off bans travel incoming from China. And the mayor of New York, along with the Speaker of the House, retreated to their respective cities in Manhattan and San Francisco to say, come here, come in droves, come congregate. Who politicized what here? Who politicized what? Well, the Democrats, if and only one thing is understood, that Andrew Cuomo was fundamentally lying to you when he called this the European virus. Fundamentally lying to you when he called this the European virus. As I said then, and as I'll say again, this was no more a European virus, and that was his mantra. This was not a one-off. He kept doing that to take the shift and the blame off of China, which is where Trump was putting it. This is like saying your cousins from Maine who come to visit you in Phoenix and do a layover in Minnesota are visiting you from Minnesota. That's how you get a European virus out of a Chinese Wuhan virus. Who politicized this? Who politicized this? Well, Joe Biden can't politicize and polarize the nation without some help. And the nation's jack-in-the-box of medical polarization is Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Ever confident ever-changing, yet always somehow wrong, Fauci became the charismatic figure for COVID hysterics, the American left in general, and the mantra of listening to him in order to follow the science. Adulation of him bizarrely tipped into a pseudo-religion. 
Fauci votive candles are widely available. Did you know that? And not sold or bought entirely tongue-in-cheek. The man has adoring acolytes, including a children's book about his life. When's the last children's book you saw about the head of the National Institutes for Infectious and Allergic Diseases? He, even more than Biden, embodies the spirit that centralized government edicts are the right and proper way to handle health emergencies. I understand why authoritarian personalities like him. I understand why those with a totalitarian impulse like him. He's doing what they could only wish to do. I'll say a little bit more about this when we come right back. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Let me just say a thing about those who want to apotheosize Anthony Fauci. There's a reason Ronald Reagan said that the citizen is more important than the expert. Because it turns out you citizens, you the citizens, have for the most part probably been more right about the COVID situation than Anthony Fauci was. Believe it or not. Think about his record of wrong. Think about it off the top of my head. Don't wear a mask. Masks can, in fact, be harmful. Don't need to change your life. Wear a mask. Change your life. Shut down everything from schools to churches and synagogues. Wear two masks. Wear two masks. Wash down surfaces and groceries. Well, now don't wash down surfaces and groceries. Dogs and domestic animals can spread it. Be careful. Dogs and domestic animals cannot spread it. Anthony Fauci also said three times last year we won't have a vaccine that year. We got the vaccine that year. We heard the mask may be more important than a vaccine. Then we were told, get a vaccine, and then you don't have to wear a mask. Then we were told, get a vaccine and wear a mask. The vaccine, we were told, is just as effective at the Delta variant as the original COVID. Oops, no to that. The vaccinated won't get sick or hospitalized, we were told. Oh, yes, they do. The vaccinated won't spread as much as the unvaccinated. Well, yes, it looks like they do. Outdoor settings will be COVID fireballs, like college football. Lollapalooza. Oops, nope, actually not. And then the one I don't understand the journalist community over at all, at all. Anthony Fauci openly admitted to lying to the American people about herd immunity percentages, giving several different percentages and percentiles to reach it, only to later say the American people weren't ready for the real number, which is why he held it back from them with other false numbers. Why a man with that record should be lauded, apotheosized, adulated, 
listen to, or even still have a job is beyond me. But as Thomas More said in A Man for All Seasons, I show you the times. I'm Seth Leaps, and guess who's coming up? The Hallmans, or as I think it might be more correct in the plural with passersby, attorneys general, and things, the Hallsman. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.